Blog Talk Radio. All right, sports fans, how's everybody out there doing? William Martin coming at you here on blogtalkradio.com with another edition of the 300 Pounds of Sports Knowledge Show. As always, I want to take this time out to thank all of you fine folks out there for tuning in this evening. And as always, the guest call-in number will be 626-231-0309. I repeat, 626-231-0309. And on this wonderful evening of November 12th, 2009, I can gladly once again tell the world that Miss Runner's baby boy is back on the air. Now we are smack dab in the in the middle of the month of November, and with that said, the action and intensity around the National Football League is heating up because before you know it, the postseason is going to be here. And speaking of the postseason, there were two teams that were clashing today in the NFC that do have aspirations of making the playoffs come January. You had the 5-3 and three Dallas Cowboys traveling to take on the 4-4 four and four Atlanta Falcons. And, of course, for the Cowboys, life began today without running back Ezekiel Elliott as he is in the midst of serving a six-game suspension. But that did not seem to phase the Dallas Cowboys early on as midway through the first quarter they put together a quick scoring drive which was capped off by an 11-yard run from quarterback Dak Prescott to give Dallas the early 7 to nothing advantage. Now, it was 7-3 to after one quarter of play in favor of the Cowboys, and the score remained that way throughout the majority of the first half. And just before the first half ended, Atlanta was able to put together a nine-play, 80-yard drive that ate up nearly three and a half minutes of game clock, and this was capped off by a one-yard run from running back Tevin Coleman to give the Falcons their first lead of the game at 10-7. to Now, the Falcons would get the opening kickoff of the second half, and they would put it to good use as they marched down the field on an 11-place 75-yard drive, which was capped off by a three-yard pass from quarterback Matt Ryan to Justin Hardy, and this scoring drive ate up more than six and a half minutes worth of game clock as the Falcons were comfortably ahead now by the score of 17-7. to Now, in the early stages of the fourth quarter, Atlanta would put this game on ice when Ryan connected with tight end Austin Hooper from a yard out to give the Falcons a 24-7 to lead, and this capped off a seven-play 72-yard drive. And Atlanta was on cruise control as they would go on to win this contest today by the score of 27 to 7. And you look inside of the numbers, Dak Prescott was 20 of 30 passing today for Dallas for a buck 76 with no TDs and no picks, but he was sacked eight times today by this Falcons defense, most notably six of those coming from defensive end Adrian Claiborne. Now, without Elliott, the Cowboys were able to still muster 107 yards on the ground with 53 of those coming from Alfred Morris. Now, on the flip side for Atlanta, Matt Ryan was 22 of 29 passing for 215 yards of two TDs and a pick, while they had 132 yards on the ground with 83 of those coming from Tevin Coleman. 
And the Cowboys have to get used to this because a lot of people are going to sit back and say, well, you know, Dak Prescott has been good. And I said it all along. I was like, I wanted to see how good Dak Prescott was really going to be without having the services of being in the same backfield with Ezekiel Elliott. And we saw this afternoon, it's not the same. And of course it wasn't just Dak Prescott. The Cowboys were missing their pro bowl left tackle and Tyron Smith and his backup got taken to school today by Adrian Claiborne. And because of that, I blame a lot of that on the coaching, most notably Jason Garrett. Because if you look at all of those sacks that Claiborne got, they were on one-on-one situations with the left tackle. At some point, if you are the head coach, you have to sit up there and make adjustments. You have to bring a tight end over to that side. You have to bring a running back over there. You have to slide protection. You have to move the pocket. You have to do something to not only maintain the confidence of your of your offensive lineman, but at the same time protect your quarterback. And the Dallas Cowboys simply did not do that today. And you see how different that this offense is without the services of Ezekiel Elliott. Now, on the flip side for Atlanta, this was a game that they had to win because they are trying to keep pace in the NFC South with both the Carolina Panthers and the New Orleans Saints. And the last thing that they could afford to do is go out there this afternoon and lose a contest at home to a team that was without the services of their star player. Atlanta lost a tough game last Sunday versus the Carolina Panthers on the road, and this was an opportunity for them to get back on track. Now, you look ahead to week number 11 for both of these clubs, and for the Dallas Cowboys, they will be at home next Sunday night to take on the Philadelphia Eagles, while the Atlanta Falcons will find themselves on the road on Monday night to take on the Seattle Seahawks. Now, you had the 6-2 and two Pittsburgh Steelers traveling to Lucas Oil Stadium today to take on the 3-6 and six Indianapolis Colts. And this was a typical game right here for the Pittsburgh Steelers, and I say that because they were heavily favored. And whenever the Pittsburgh Steelers are heavily favored in a contest, it's scary because they always find a way to play down to the level of their competition. That was the case today as after a scoreless first quarter, uh, pardon me, I almost said the Baltimore Colts, Indianapolis uh, got the scoring going on the first play of the second quarter when quarterback Jacoby Brissett connected with wide receiver Dante Moncrief from 60 yards out to give the Colts the 7 to nothing advantage. Now, it was 10 to nothing in favor of Indianapolis late in the second quarter when the Steelers finally were able to get on the board with 30 seconds left as Chris Boswell connected on a 41-yard field goal to make it 10 to 3. The score it looked like this game was going to get away from the Pittsburgh Steelers as Indianapolis got the opening kickoff and marched down the field in a quick four-play 75-yard drive, which is capped off from Brissett found wide receiver Chester Rogers on a 61-yard touchdown hookup to give the Colts the commanding 17-3 lead. But the Steelers would rally as on their ensuing drive, Ben, Big Ben Roethlisberger, their starting quarterback, connected with rookie wide receiver Juju Smith-Schuster on a seven-yard touchdown pass. The extra point was blocked, and the Steelers would now trail 17-9. to Now, the game changed early in the fourth quarter when Brissett was trying to hook up with tight end Jack Doyle on a short pass. The ball went through Doyle's hands, and it ended up in, into the lap 
of Steelers linebacker Ryan Shazier. The Steelers were able to cap to uh, capitalize off of a good field position as they began to drive at the Colts' 10-yard line. And on third and goal, Big Ben would connect with tight end Vance McDonald on a seven-yard pass to make it 17-15. to The Steelers would go for the two-point conversion, and they were successful when Roethlisberger connected with wide receiver Martavis Bryant to not the score at seven apiece. It looked like the Steelers were still going to try to give this game away, but they would rally, and they made some key uh, hookups did Big Ben to both Martavis Bryant and Antonio Brown on a game-winning drive. And as the time expired, Boswell connected on his second field goal of the game, this time from 33 yards out, and the Steelers would secure the comeback victory over the Colts this afternoon by the score of 20-17. to And you look inside of the numbers, Big Ben was 19 of 31 passing for 236 yards with two TDs and a pick while he was sacked once. The Steelers did have 88 yards on the ground with 80 of those coming from Le'Veon Bell. Now Juju Smith-Schuster has really put himself in the mix to be the offensive rookie of the year this year in the National Football League as he had five grabs today for 97 yards with a touchdown. Jacoby Brissett on the other, on the other side for the Colts was 14 of 24 passing for 222 yards or two TDs and a pick while he was sacked three times by this Steelers defense. And like I said, you know, Pittsburgh, they always find a way to play down to the level of their competition. I don't, uh, I, I really don't know why, but Pittsburgh always does. And this was a game that, you know, this really would have hurt them in the standings had they lost it, but they found a way to hold on. Now, the bigger story for the Pittsburgh Steelers coming out of this game is they lost the services of cornerback Joe Hayden to a broken uh, leg. So we don't know the severity of the break, but, you know, he was a big part of their secondary and what they were able to do. So it's really going to be interesting to see how the Steelers are going to make up for that loss going forward. For the Colts, they were once again game, but the bottom line is the Colts simply don't have the talent out there to go out there and consistently win football games. They won against the Texans last week on the road. I know things were changed because of the injury to Deshaun Watson, but they simply went out there and fought, but they did not have uh, what it took in their arsenal to make it two victories in a row. Now you look ahead to week number 11 for both of these clubs. It's a very short turnaround for Pittsburgh as they will be at home this Thursday night to take on the Tennessee Titans while Indianapolis will have their bye. Folks, as always, the call-in number is going to be 626-231-0309. I repeat, 626-231-0309. Now, moving right along, you had the 6-2 and two New Orleans Saints traveling to Western New York to take on the Buffalo Bills. New Orleans entered this contest with a record of 6-2 and two while they were 3-1 and one on the road, while Buffalo was 5-3 and three and they were undefeated at New Era Field. Now, both of these teams have two of the better defenses of uh, the season so far, and you expected this to be a defensive stalemate, but that was not the case. Now, Buffalo would take the opening kickoff and march down the field, and they would have to settle for a Steven Hauska field goal from 37 yards out to give them the lead at 3 to nothing. And if you were a Bills fan after that, you simply wanted to turn away from the TV because the Saints dominated Buffalo in every facet of the game. 
on the Saints' ensuing drive. They put together a nine-play, 75-yard drive, which was capped off by a one-yard run from running back Mark Ingram to give them the 7-3 to three lead. New Orleans would keep the scoring barrage going as early on in the second. Ingram scored again, this time from three yards out, to make it 14-3. to three. New Orleans would have a 17-3 to three lead at the half, and then they would take the opening kickoff of the second half and march down the field on a nine-play, 75-yard drive, which is capped off by a five-yard run from Alvin Kamara to make it 24-3. to three. And from that point, it was all over except for the shouting as New Orleans would go on a cruise this afternoon to the 47-10 victory. And you look inside of the numbers for this contest. When you think about the Saints in recent years and you think about them putting up 47 points, you would think the quarterback Drew Brees had a big game. Drew Brees was 18 of 25 passing for a buck 84 with no touchdown passes. He did not throw any interceptions, but he also wasn't sacked either. New Orleans hit this Buffalo defense up for 298 yards rushing. Mark Ingram 21 carries, a buck 31, three rushing touchdowns. Alvin Kamara, 12 touchdowns, 106 yards with a touchdown. As a team, New Orleans had six rushing touchdowns this afternoon. You look at the Saints defense, they stymied the Bills all afternoon long. Tyrod Taylor was 19 of 18 for 56 yards passing with no TDs and a pick while he was sacked twice, and he made way for Nathan Peterman, who did not fare any better as he was 7 of 10 passing for 79 yards with a TD. And you look at this Saints team, and this is a remarkable turnaround because they began this season 0-2, and it looked like it was going to be another long season for New Orleans. But this, but this thing really got corrected rather quickly for this club. And I think for Sean Payton, I think this is a credit to him because you go back to when the Saints won the Super Bowl in 2009. You had Drew Brees, and Drew Brees was putting up video game-like numbers. But it wasn't just Drew Brees because New Orleans had the ability to run the football effectively that year, and they also played lights-out defense, and they are getting back to that because you look at the Saints team on defense. They fly around to the football and they don't allow teams to score on them. And you look at this game right here. New Orleans put Buffalo in chase mode, and Buffalo does not have the offense that can uh, come back. And that was shown again today because they don't have the consistency in their passing game to do so. So uh, New Orleans was able to put them in chase mode early, and from that point, honestly, the game was on cruise control. Now, if you're Buffalo – this is two straight games in a row where you got embarrassed. Your defense couldn't stop the Jets on Thursday night football in week nine. And then you come back to, at home today and you get punched in the mouth by New Orleans. So Buffalo got off to the good start. They had people being uh, becoming believers and getting back on the bandwagon. But the last two weeks in a row, they've simply laid an egg. Now, for week number 11, Buffalo will be on the road when they will face the Los Angeles Chargers, while New Orleans will be at home to take on the Washington Redskins. 
Now, moving right along, you had the 3-5 and five Houston Texans traveling to Southern California to take on the 6-2 and two Los Angeles Rams. And the Rams were flying high after their big victory over the New York Giants last week, and they were trying to keep that momentum going. Now, it was 6 to nothing in favor of the Rams midway through the second quarter after a pair of Greg Zerline field goals when Houston decided to make this game very interesting when they put together an eight-play 75-yard drive which is capped off on quarterback Tom Savage connected with Bruce Ellington on a 26-yard touchdown pass to give the Texans the lead by the score of 7-6. to six. Now, Zerline would connect on his third field goal of the half just before the second quarter ended, and the Rams began to put this game away in the third quarter. Quarterback Jared Goff would connect with wide receiver Robert Woods on a 94-yard touchdown pass to give the Rams the 16-7 advantage. L.A. would not take their foot off of the throttle as later on in in the third quarter, Goff would connect with wide receiver Sammy Watkins from 17 yards out to make it 23-7. And just before the third quarter ended, Goff connected with Woods again, this time from 12 yards out to make it 30-7, as Los Angeles would go on this afternoon to cruise by the score of 33 to 17 and all of a sudden Jared Goff is looking for real as he was 25 of 37 passing this afternoon for 355 yards with three TDs and no picks while he was sacked three times by this Texans defense on the flip side Tom Savage was 18 of 36 passing for Houston for 221 yards with a TD and two picks while he was sacked twice pardon me three times by this Rams defense. It was a battle of the former Clemson wide receivers, and DeAndre Hopkins may have won the battle, but he didn't win the war because he had seven grabs for 111 yards, while Sammy Watkins had two grabs for 141 yards. But the big man on campus today was Los Angeles wide receiver Robert Woods, who had eight grabs for a buck seventy-one with two TDs. So if anybody had him on his fantasy team or, or her fantasy team today, they lucked out big time. And you look at this Rams team, this is a dangerous team because they can beat you in so many different ways. You look at their ability to run the football with Todd Gurley. You look at Jared Goff, who is extremely comfortable in the, in the pocket right now throwing the football. You look at the talent that he has to get the football to at wide receiver and Robert Woods and Sammy Watkins. You look at this defense under defensive coordinator Wade Phillips, and they fly around to the ball. So with that said, this club can simply just get you and hurt you and do some big-time damage. And that's what we're seeing right now from the Rams. They are going to be an extremely tough team. Now, on the flip side for the Texans, life goes on without Deshaun Watson. And we saw it, you know, last week at home against the Colts. And it's one of those things, again, where, you know, they're going to fight, they're going to scrap, and they're going to claw. But without Deshaun Watson out there, and, of course, no J.J. Watt on defense, this team really does not stand a chance. And it's, it's unfortunate because a few weeks ago, the Texans were looking like a team that could get to the playoffs and do some damage, but once that once that Watson injury came around the bend, that was all she wrote for this club. Now you look ahead to week number 11 for both of these clubs, and the Rams will be on the road to take on the Minnesota Vikings. 
while Houston will find themselves in week number 11 at home to take on the Arizona Cardinals. Folks, as always, the call-in number is going to be 626-231-0309. I repeat, 626-231-0309. Now, moving right along, you had the 3-5 and five Los Angeles Chargers traveling to take on the 5-3 and three Jacksonville Jaguars. And this game was an interesting contest because you look at both of these teams, you never know what you're going to get from either one of these clubs on a weekly basis. And the scoring got going late in the first quarter as Jacksonville went to work on a fake punt, and it resulted in a 56-yard run from Corey Grant right up the gut to give Jacksonville the 6 to nothing lead as the extra point for Josh Lambeau was blocked. Now, just before the first half ended, Los Angeles was able to get on the scoreboard when quarterback Phillip Rivers connected with Austin Eckler on a 28-yard touchdown pass to give the Chargers the 7-6 to lead at the half. Now, Los Angeles would extend their lead early on in the third quarter when Rivers connected with Eckler again, this time on a 22-yard pass to make it 14-6. to Now, just before the third quarter ended, Jacksonville was able to put together an 11-play, 84-yard drive that ate up more than four minutes of game clock, and it was capped off when quarterback Blake Bortles connected with wide receiver Marquise Lee on a six-yard pass to make it 14-12. to Bortles would hook up with Lee again on the two-point conversion, and Jacksonville was back in business as the score was now tied at 14 apiece. Now, early on in the fourth, the Chargers would regain the lead when Nick Novak connected on a 50-yard field goal to make it 17-14. to Late in this contest, Jacksonville was driving with a chance to go ahead, but Bortles was intercepted, and it looked like the Chargers were going to have an opportunity to run out the clock. However, the Chargers could not succeed, and they had to give the football back to Jacksonville. And then things really came apart for this team on the last drive of regulation, which included a 15-yard roughing the passer penalty on Chargers defensive end Joey Bosa. Now, Jacksonville would take advantage of that as Josh Lambeau would connect on a 34-yard field goal with just three seconds left to not the score at 17 apiece and send this contest to overtime. Now, after the uh, Jacksonville was stopped on their ensuing drive in, or, in uh, overtime, they punted the ball to the Chargers and they pinned them deep in their own territory. And on third down, Phillip Rivers was picked off by Jaguars defensive back A.J. Boye, who ran it back deep into Chargers territory, which set up Lambeau for the game-winning field goal as he connected on the game-winning score from 30 yards out to give Jacksonville the 20 to 17 victory and you look inside of the numbers Blake Bortles was 28 of 51 passing today for 250 273 yards with a TD and two picks while he was sacked three times the Jaguars did have 135 yards on the ground but they were never able to get Leonard Fournette going as he just mustered 33 yards on 17 carries Alan Hearns did have a big game as he had seven grabs for 70 yards, while Phillip Rivers was 21 of 37 passing for 235 yards or two TDs and a pick. But you look at this contest, and it was very sloppy from Jacksonville, but they found a way to win. And I say sloppy because 
you look at the penalties, nine penalties for 106 yards. When you're playing good teams, that's simply not going to get it done. They found a way to to uh, get around that today versus the uh, Chargers. But when they play the better teams in the AFC, they're really going to have to step their game up. And on the flip side for the Chargers, you know, it's the same old song. You know, they play good enough to win, but they simply can't make enough plays to get them over the hump and get victories consistently. And that's what, once again, cost them this afternoon. Now, you look ahead to week number 11 for both of these clubs. The Chargers will be at home next Sunday to take on the Buffalo Bills, while Jacksonville will find themselves in week 11 on the road to face the Cleveland Browns. Now, another team with their eye on first place in the AFC South would be the Tennessee Titans. And like Jacksonville, Tennessee entered today with a record of 5-3, and three, and they would host the 3-5 and five Cincinnati Bengals. Now, midway through the first quarter, the Titans got on the scoreboard with a two-yard run from DeMarco Murray to give them the 7 to nothing advantage, and this capped off a 10-play 84-yard drive. Now, the Bengals would immediately respond by putting together an 8-play 75-yard drive, which is capped off by a 37-yard touchdown hookup between quarterback Andy Dalton and wide receiver Brandon LaFell as the score was now 7-6 to six, as place kicker Randy Bullock missed the extra point. Now, midway through the second quarter, Tennessee was able to extend their lead as Murray scored on his second touchdown of the game, this time from a yard out, to give Tennessee the 14-6 advantage. Now, late in the second quarter, the Bengals would score their second TD of the game on a three-yard run from rookie running back Joe Mixon to make team to 13. Now, after a scoreless third quarter, it was 17-13 to 13 in favor of Tennessee midway through the fourth quarter when the Bengals put together a drive which resulted in Dalton connecting with wide receiver A.J. Green on a 70-yard touchdown hookup to give the Bengals their first lead of the contest at 20-17. to 17. However, on Tennessee's ensuing drive, they would put together a 12-play, 73-yard drive, which ate up nearly four and a half minutes of game clock. And with 36 seconds left in this contest, quarterback Marcus Mariota found running back DeMarco Murray on a seven-yard touchdown pass to give the Titans the 24-20 to 20 advantage. And Tennessee would go on to win today by the score of 24 to 20 and you look inside of the numbers for this contest Andy Dalton was 20 of 35 passing for 265 yards with two TDs and no picks while he was sacked once his counterpart Marcus Mariota was 25 of 44 passing for 264 yards with a TD and a pick and he was sacked four times today by this Bengals defense and you look at the running game for both clubs, Titans had 180 yards on the ground. Nobody had a big day, but just as a team, Tennessee was able to run consistently. A.J. Green had five grabs before 115 yards and a TD, while Brandon LaFell had six catches for 95 yards and a touchdown as well. But it simply was not enough for Cincinnati to go on the road and get the victory this afternoon. And you look inside of this game, I don't know – what's going on with the Bengals offense because this is the second week in a row 
that they've held the football for under 20 minutes. It happened last week on the road versus Jacksonville, and it happened again today with Tennessee. I don't care who you are. If you can't possess the football, you are not going to win the game. And they still somehow found a way to be in the contest until the very end. You look at this, and bottom line is you've got to stop the run. You've got to stop teams on third down. That's how they extend drives. And Cincinnati, as solid as they have been over in recent years on defense, they simply were not able to get it done today. Now, for Tennessee, it wasn't pretty. And honestly, I could say part of that is due to the fact that, yeah, the Bengals are 3-6, and six, but it's not like they're not going to go out there fight, scrap, and claw because that, that's what they did basically once again today, and they made life tough for the Tennessee Titans, and the Titans really had to roll up their sleeves and get a victory. But I'll tell you like this, the Titans are going to have a shot to win more games and even win the South because they can run the football and they play D. And whenever you do those two things, you're always going to have an opportunity to win games. Now, you look ahead to week number 11 for both of these teams, it's a very short turnaround for Tennessee as they will be on the road to face the Pittsburgh Steelers on Thursday night. While for Cincinnati, they will find themselves on the road next Sunday afternoon to face the Denver Broncos. Folks, as always, the call-in number is going to be 626-231-0309. I repeat, 626-231-0309. Now, moving right along, you had the 6-2 and two Minnesota Vikings traveling to take on the 4-4 four and four Washington Redskins. And after the Redskins scored the upset victory last Sunday versus the Seattle Seahawks, they were looking to keep the momentum going for themselves. And Washington looked good early as they took the opening kickoff and marched down the field on a 7-play, 75-yard drive, which ate up more than four minutes of game clock, and it was capped off when quarterback Kirk Cousins connected with wide receiver Maurice Harris, who was recently called up from the practice squad on a 36-yard touchdown pass to give Washington the early 7 to nothing advantage. However, Minnesota would immediately respond by putting together a five-play 75-yard drive, which was capped off by a one-yard run from Latavius Murray to knock the score up at seven apiece. Now, it was 10-7, in favor of Washington early in the second quarter when the Vikings would take their first lead of the contest when quarterback Case Keenum found wide receiver Stephon Diggs on a three-yard pass to give Minnesota the 14-10 to advantage. However, Washington would immediately respond by putting together a touchdown drive that ate up more than seven minutes worth of game clock, and it was capped off by a one-yard run from Cousins to put them back in front by the score of 17 to 14. Now, just before the first half ended, the Vikings would regain the lead when when Keenum connected with wide receiver Adam Thielen on a seven-yard pass to give Minnesota the 21 to 17 advantage. Now, the Vikings' defense would force a Redskins turnover, and their offense was able to immediately capitalize on that as Keenum found backup tight end David Morgan II for his first career touchdown as Minnesota took a 28-17 lead to the dressing room. Now, the Vikings would get the opening kickoff to begin the second half, and they would extend their lead when Keenum would connect with wide receiver Jarris Wright 
on a seven-yard touchdown pass to make it 35-17. to Now, it was 35-20 to early in the fourth quarter when Washington was able to get back into this game as Keenum was picked off by Redskins defensive back D.J. Swearinger, who returned it to the two-yard line, which set up a two-yard run from Cousins to make it 35-27. to However, Washington would not get any closer as their D was unable to make the key stops today as Minnesota would go on the road and get the 38-30 victory. And you look inside of the numbers for this contest, Case Keenan was 21-29 of passing for 304 yards with four TDs and two picks. Now, as a team, Minnesota had 102 yards on the ground with 68 of those coming from Latavius Murray. Now, Kirk Cousins was 26-45 of passing for 327 yards with a TD and a pick while he was sacked once, while Vernon Davis had seven catches for 76 yards this afternoon for Washington. But this Redskins secondary was torched all afternoon long by Adam Thielen, who had eight grabs for 166 yards and a TD, as the Vikings now join both the Saints and the Rams at 7-2 and two in the NFC. And for Minnesota, you look at this team. They're going to play defense under head coach Mike Zimmer. And now they've, they've been dealt with a rash of injuries at the quarterback positions, or position rather, over the last two years. But they have not felt sorry for themselves. And that is once again the case. I mean, they started off 5-0 and last year before things went south. And right now, guys are simply stepping up. There's no other way to say it. They're just going out there and doing whatever it takes to win. And like I said, this D is going to fly around to the football, and they are always going to be in games. Now, for Washington, you got the big victory last week, but the same struggles that you had defensively are once again showed up this afternoon as you could not stop Minnesota's. They really dictated the pace, and because of that, the Redskins missed a golden opportunity at home to really solidify their chances of being a wild-card team this season. Now you look ahead to week number 11, Washington will be on the road to face the New Orleans Saints, while Minnesota will find themselves in week number 11 at home to take on the Los Angeles Rams. Now moving right along, you had the 4-4 and Green Bay Packers and the Windy City to take on the three and five Chicago Bears, as this is one of the oldest and most storied rivalries in the National Football League. Now, after a quarter of play, it was knotted at three apiece when early on in the second quarter, the Packers scored the, the game's first touchdown, and it was a 37 yard run from wide receiver converted to running back Ty Montgomery to give the Pack the early 10 to 3 advantage. Now, this game was all about D, field position. It was sloppy, you name it. It was not a scoring fest. And it was 16-6 to in favor of Green Bay late, pardon me, early in the fourth quarter when the Bears scored their first touchdown of the contest. And it, it was a result of rookie quarterback Mitchell Trubisky hooking up with Joshua Bellamy from 46 yards out to make it 16-13. to However, the pack would not allow the Bears to get any closer as on Green Bay's ensuing drive, they put together 
an eight-play, 75-yard drive, which ate up more than five and a half, nearly five and a half minutes of game clock. And it was capped off when quarterback Brett Hundley connected with wide receiver Devontae Adams from 19 yards out to make it 23-13. to 13. And Green Bay would go on to win this afternoon by the score of 23-16. to 16. And you look inside of the numbers for this contest, Brett Hundley was 18-25 passing for 212 yards with a TD and a pick while he was sacked three times. Mitchell Trubisky was 21-35 of 35 passing for 297 yards with a TD, and a, but he was sacked five times by this Green Bay defense with three of those coming from Nick Perry. And this game is going to come down to the touchdown that did not happen because the Bears thought they had a touchdown in the first half. John Fox challenged it. And instead of getting the football and instead of getting the touchdown, it was ruled that it was a fumble and it went through the end zone and thus it was a touchback and Green Bay was then awarded the football at the 25-yard line. And for the Bears, it's the same old song. This team, you know, I put them in that category. They're fighting, they're scrapping, and they're clawing. They simply aren't able to consistently get the victories uh, on a Sunday afternoon. And because of that, they're three and six. They're a young team. I think they are a year or two away. And I'll tell you like this, if you're the other teams in the NFC North, this is the time when you want to get them because once they get good, forget about it. Now for the Packers, you needed this win because you wanted to try to prove that you could win a game without the services of Aaron Rodgers at quarterback. And it did not look good for this team on Monday night at home when they fell to the Detroit Lions. But credit to Mike McCarthy and his staff because they were able to rally, come back, and get a victory. And on top of that, get a divisional victory and hang around in the postseason picture. Now, you look ahead to week number 11 for both of these clubs. Green Bay will be at home to take on the Baltimore Ravens, while Chicago will be back home next Sunday to face another NFC North rival this time in the Detroit Lions. Folks, as always, the call-in number is going to be 626-231-0309. I repeat, 626-231-0309. Now, moving right along, you had the 4-4 four and four Detroit Lions hosting the winless Cleveland Browns. And for Detroit, they came into this contest heavily favored, and it was just going to be a matter to see would they be able to do enough to get the victory at home. Now, early on in this contest, it was Cleveland who dictated the paces. They were leading three to nothing midway through the first quarter when rookie quarterback Deshaun Kaiser connected with wide receiver Kenny Britt on a 19-yard touchdown pass to give Cleveland the 10 to nothing advantage. Now the Lions would rally and put together a run as they were trailing 10 to 3 early in the second quarter when running back Amir Abdullah scored on an 8-yard run and this capped off an 8-play 90-yard touchdown drive for the Lions to not the score at 10 apiece. Now, later in the second quarter, Detroit would get their first lead of the game as Nevin Lawson returned a fumble 44 yards for the touchdown, and the Lions went ahead by the score of 17-10. to 10. 
Now the Browns would get the opening kickoff to begin the second half, and they would march down the field on an eight-play, 85-yard drive, which is capped off by a six-yard run from Isaiah Crowell to knock the score at 17 apiece. Now the Browns would get the football back, and they would put together another lengthy drive, this time a 10-play, 80-yard drive that ate up more than six minutes of game clock, and it was capped off by a one-yard TD plunge from Kaiser to give Cleveland the 24-17 to lead. But it's the Cleveland Browns, and because of that, you know that they're going to find a way to lose the game, which they did. Now, just before the third quarter ended, the Lions were able to tie the score at 24 when quarterback Matthew Stafford connected with Theo Riddick on an eight-yard touchdown pass to make it 24-all. Early on in the fourth quarter, Detroit put together a nine-play 61-yard drive which was capped off when Stafford found Eric Ebron, the starting tight end from 29 yards out, to give Detroit a 31-24 to advantage. And in typical Cleveland fashion, they stopped the Lions on their next drive. And from there, Miles Garrett was called for being offside. And on the very next play, Stafford connected with wide receiver Golden Tate on a 40-yard touchdown pass to put this contest away as Detroit would go on to win at home and save face by beating the Browns by the score of 38-24. to Now for Deshaun Kaiser, he was 21 of 37 passing today for 232 yards with a TD and a pick while he was sacked once, and he did have to leave this contest with a rib injury. He was replaced by quarterback Cody Kessler, who did not do good at all as he was one of three passing for five yards, and he was sacked three times. Now, you look inside of the game, Cleveland really dominated the stat sheet, but the bottom line is they couldn't get the win. The Browns had more than 200 yards rushing on the ground. They sacked Lions quarterback Matthew Stafford four times, but they couldn't make the key plays in any facet of the game, and because of that, they fell. Now, for the Lions, Golden Tate had six catches for 97 yards, Matthew Stafford was 17 of 26 passing for 249 yards with three TDs and a pick. And I alluded to the fact that, you know, he was sacked four times. And like I said, if you just simply pinned this on the numbers alone, you'd have thought that the Lions lost this contest, but they actually won. And they played like they wanted to lose. And at the beginning of this contest, the Browns played like they wanted to win. But at some point, the Browns realized that they were the Browns and they went out of their way to lose this contest, and ultimately they did. The Browns are 0-9. They've only won one game over the last two seasons, and this has the makings to be the worst stretch of a two-year period in the NFL for a team because there's a possibility that Cleveland probably only wins one game this year if they win that many. And I know that this organization wants to be patient with Hugh Jackson and their front office, but I don't know where they go from here because, like I said before, there's no veteran experience on this team. You only have three guys on this club who are over the age of 30. One guy is currently on IR and offensive tackle, Joe Thomas. One of the other players is a kicker. You only have three three, three guys on this team that have postseason experience. So if you want to change the culture for the Browns, who do you lean on? There isn't anybody to lean on with this club. That's why they continuously lose. 
And on the flip side for the Lions, like I said before, they were able to save face because, yeah, granted, it's an AFC team that you're facing, but the bottom line is this. If you want to keep up with the Vikings and the Packers for the divisional race in the NFC North, and if you want to hang around in the wild card picture in the NFC, these are the games you got to go out there and find a way to win. And it was not pretty for the Lions, but they did just enough to, to get ahead and escape with the victory this afternoon at home. Now you look ahead to next Sunday for both of these clean teams. Detroit will be on the road to face the Chicago Bears, while Cleveland will be at home to host the Jacksonville Jaguars. Now you had the 4-5 and five New York Jets traveling to take on the 2-6 and six Tampa Bay Buccaneers. And this was all about a quarterback swap, as you know, Josh McCown was recently a backup quarterback for the Bucs, while Ryan Fitzpatrick was a starting quarterback last year for the Jets. They both found themselves under center for this contest. And this time, of course, you know, Ryan Fitzpatrick with the Bucs and Josh McCown with the Jets. These guys are a bunch of career backup quarterbacks. And if you watch this game this afternoon, it really showed. Offense was an option in this game, and it really wasn't even an option. It was 3-3 three to three at the half, and it looked like somebody uh, was going to win this game by accident. And the first offensive touchdown in this contest was not scored until midway through the fourth quarter when Tampa Bay put together a 15-play, 81-yard drive that ate up nearly seven and a half minutes worth of game clock. And it was capped off when Fitzpatrick connected with Charles Sims from six yards out to make the score 15-3 to three, as Tampa would go for the two-point conversion and be unsuccessful. And in the waning seconds of this game, the Jets scored their only touchdown of the game when McCown found wide receiver Robbie Anderson from 38 yards out to make it 15-10. to 10. But it was too little, too late for Gang Green this afternoon as they fell by that score on the road in Tampa. And you look inside of the numbers for this contest, Josh McCown was 22 of 39 passing for the Jets for 262 yards with a TD and a pick, while this Tampa defense really teed off on him this afternoon to the tune of six sacks. Now, Ryan Fitzpatrick versus his former team today with 17 of 34 passing for a buck 87 with a TD and a pick while he was sacked once. The Jets' ground game simply was not there. They only had 56 yards on the ground. Tampa didn't fare that much better as they only had 90. And like I said, this game was not pretty in any shape or form. There's no way to really, you know, dance around the subject. Somebody had to win. The Jets looked so good in thir- on Thursday night in week number nine at home versus the Buffalo Bills, but they simply could not keep that momentum going for themselves as they fell this afternoon to the Bucks. And for Tampa, you know, no Jameis Winston at quarterback, but you just had to wonder – you know, how would this team respond? And they were back at back at home, and this was a big opportunity for them to get get a victory for this young club, and they did. They took, they took advantage, and I think it started with their defense, and they really played with an attitude all afternoon long on defense, and that is why they were able to get the victory at home today. Now you look ahead to week number 11 for both of these clubs. Tampa Bay will be on the road to face the Miami Dolphins, while a much-needed bye week will be on the docket for the Jets. So, folks, as always, the call-in number is going to be 626-231-0309. I repeat, 626-231-0309. 
626-231-0309. And finally, in Santa Clara, this afternoon, you had the 1-7 New York football Giants traveling to take on the winless San Francisco 49ers, who came into play this afternoon with a record of 0-9. Now, it was a field goal fest after the first quarter as the Giants won that by getting two field goals from place kicker Aldrich Rosas to make them the leaders after one quarter of play at 6-3. to three. Now, midway through the second quarter, San Francisco would score the game's first touchdown when rookie quarterback C.J. Beathard connected with wide receiver Marquise Goodwin on an 83-yard touchdown pass to give San Fran the 10-6 advantage. Now, New York would respond by putting together a 10-play, 75-yard drive, which ate up nearly six minutes' worth of game clock and was capped off when quarterback Eli Manning found rookie tight end Evan Ingram from nine yards out to give the Giants the 13-10 to 10 advantage. However, the Giants' defense could not hold that lead, and with just under 30 seconds left in the half, Beathard connected with tight end Garrett Selleck from 47 yards out to give San Francisco the lead at 17-10. to 10. This game uh, would remain 17-13 to 13 heading into the fourth quarter, and San Francisco would put this game away early on. Early on in the fourth quarter, Beathard would call his own number and score on an 11-yard run, and later on in in that frame, Matt Breida would score on a 33-yard touchdown run to make it 31-13, and San Francisco would go on to win this contest today by the score of 31-21. And you look inside of the numbers for this contest, Eli Manning was 28 of 37 passing for 237, pardon me, 273 yards with two TDs and no picks while he was sacked three times by the San Francisco defense. C.J. Beathard, whom the Giants' defense made look like Steve Young or Joe Montana out there this afternoon, was 19 of 25 passing for 288 yards or two TDs and a pick, while San Francisco was able to eat up 186 yards on the ground. In the defeat, Giants wide receiver Sterling Shepard had 11 catches for a buck 42, but it was all for naught as his team fell short this afternoon on the road versus San Francisco. And for the 49ers, this team, they've been fighting all season long for head coach Kyle Shanahan. And it finally came to fruition today. You knew that they were going to get somebody eventually at some point in the season. And they finally got that first victory as they got the, got the best of the Giants today. And for San Francisco, we all know that this is a rebuild. They picked up their what they're hoping is their franchise quarterback last week when they made the trade with the New England Patriots to get Jimmy Garoppolo. You look at this team, they're going to have more high draft picks coming down the pike. They're trying to put it together on defense. Now it's time to get the playmakers around Garoppolo on offense, and it's going to be a slow process. The 49ers recognize that. But finally getting a victory and finally – feeling positive after all of the work that you put in during the week was big for this team. And I know that they have their bye and week number 11, but now they can really get those few days off and feel good about themselves. And for the Giants, I don't think there's anything left to say. I understand about the injuries, 
on offense and not as much as expected of this club. However, defensively, New York gave up nearly 500 yards of total offense to the 49ers. And you look at it, people, you know, they try to stand up and say, well, this team did not quit on head coach Ben McAdoo. There are those people that are going to say, well, this team has quit on Ben McAdoo. They've quit on Ben McAdoo. There's no other way to say it. I mean, if you look at the last two games, they've given up 89 points. 51 last week to the Rams, 38 today to San Francisco. Pardon me, 82 points because it was 31 points today to uh, San Francisco. But you look at it, this team has quit. And I know that there are going to be some people that are going to say, well, maybe it's time for the Giants to move on from longtime quarterback Eli Manning. I got news for you. Eli Manning can still get it done. And if you're the Giants and your Giants fans who think that it's time to get on and move on from Eli Manning, the bottom line is I've always felt like this. Eli Manning is going to be a guy that is not appreciated until somebody else is playing starting quarterback for the Giants. That's number one. Number two, you get rid of Eli Manning and who do you get? Because you look at Eli right now. Eli is not the reason why the offense is struggling. Yeah, they have injuries, but the offensive line was never properly addressed in the offseason by general manager Jerry Reese. Eli Manning doesn't play defense. And this defensive unit that was flying around to the football last year, they're not stopping people on third down. They're not, you know, making turnovers consistently. I know that they Olivier Vernon did have an interception today and they did force a fumble by the San Francisco 49ers, but they're not making the game-changing plays like they did last year when they were flying around to the ball. And even when this team was semi-healthy at the beginning of the year, you look at it. The Giants blew a lead in week three against the Philadelphia Eagles. They blew a lead in week number four versus the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. They blew a lead in week five at home versus the Chargers. You can't put that on the quarterback. So I look at it right now. Typically, the Giants organization is very patient. But when the Giants take the field next Sunday afternoon, take on the Kansas City Chiefs, Ben McAdoo should not be the head coach. Because for those few fans that are actually still going to show up and cheer on this team, there is no way, and I mean – absolutely no way that they won't have a revolt next Sunday afternoon at MetLife Stadium. And if you are John Mara, the Giants co-owner, you have to do what's best for business. And I know typically that the Giants organization has been patient with their coaches. They don't like to fire guys through uh, midseason. The last head coach who was fired midseason for the Giants, you have to go back to John McVay in 1978. And that was after the whole miracle at the Meadowlands against the Philadelphia Eagles. And, of course, uh, you know, Joe Pasarczyk, Larry Zonker, and Herm Edwards in a play that will live in NFL lore forever. But it's a situation right now. This can't go on. And it's not just Ben McAdoo because he has lost that locker room. It's also Jerry Reese. Jerry Reese looked like the whiz kid five years ago when he was fresh off of getting two Super Bowl championships in a five-year run. But you look at it right now, a lot of those key players from those Giants championship teams retired, and he never replaced them. And, I mean, I'm saying that from the standpoint, he never got those impact players back because, number one, they were leaders. Then on top of that, these guys would go out there and do whatever it takes to win. 
they don't have a lot of guys in that locker room that are willing to do that right now. That's why they're one and eight. I, I'm totally on board with the injuries right now as far as under understanding a reason why they are not a playoff contender. But Odell Beckham doesn't play D. That's on Jerry Reese. You've got to go out there and find guys who are going to go out there and fight, scrap, and claw, and do whatever it takes to win. And this team has not been hungry for a very long time. One playoff appearance since they won the Super Bowl back in 2011. It's not going to get it done. Before Jerry Reese blamed the defensive coordinator, they got rid of Perry Fuel. Then it was the offensive coordinator, Kevin Gilbride. They got rid of him. Then it was Tom Coughlin. They got rid of him. There's nobody else for for Jerry Reese to get rid of. John Mara put Jerry Reese on notice last year. He saved his job. But this time around, there are no more tricks up his sleeve. Folks, as always, the call-in number is going to be 626-231-0309. I repeat, 626-231-0309. Now, you look at the divisional races around the NFL right now, and the New England Patriots, who are in first place in the AFC East, are currently up on the Denver Broncos late in the second quarter and it looks like the Patriots are about to go up 27 to 9 after connecting with another touchdown and they actually just did go up by this score 27 to 9 so you can all but pencil in New England to go to 7 and 2 and maintain that two game cushion over the Buffalo Bills in the AFC East now the Patriots still have five games with their AFC East brethren but the way that things are looking for both the Bills and Dolphins New England should have this division wrapped up in a few weeks. You look at the AFC North, and Pittsburgh was really able to distance themselves from everybody else today. Baltimore had their bye while Cincinnati lost. So Pittsburgh now has a three-game lead over Baltimore and a four-game lead over Cincinnati, and they're going to keep that momentum going for themselves. In the AFC South, you have both Tennessee and Jacksonville who are tied for first place at six and three, while Houston is three and six, and Indianapolis is three and seven. And I look at Tennessee and I look at Jacksonville. Both of these teams can run the football effectively. They have young quarterbacks, and they fly around to the football on defense. I think the difference maker or makers for the division winner is going to be the play of the quarterback. And I look at Tennessee right now. I have more faith in Marcus Mariota than I do at Blake Bortles at quarterback as Blake Bortles is a turnover machine waiting to happen as long as Jacksonville cannot run the football consistently. And if you take away Jacksonville's running game, Blake Bortles is absolutely nothing. So I'm going to give the nod to Tennessee as far as winning this division. In the AFC West, Kansas City, you know, they're on their bye week right now. They're 6-3 and three while you have Oakland at 4-5. and five. And Denver looks like they're going to go to 3-6 and six after tonight and tie the Chargers for last place in this division. I still think it's Kansas City's division to lose, but I'm not going to count the Raiders out just yet. Now, on the NFC side, you have Philadelphia. They had their bye week this week. They're 8-1. and one. They have a three-game lead over the Dallas Cowboys. And if Dallas can't find a way to beat Philly at home next Sunday night, This division is all but wrapped up, and, of course, it's going to be very tough now that the Cowboys don't have the services of running back Ezekiel Elliott. 
Now in the NFC North, the Vikings are sitting pretty with a record of five and two, but I'm we're still not ready to count out the Lions at five and four. While the Packers, they're five and four as well, but especially without Aaron Rodgers, that is a very shaky five and four. Now in the NFC South, New Orleans is seven and two, while Carolina is six and three, and Carolina has an opportunity to go to 7-3 and three should they get the victory at home tomorrow night versus Miami. And it was a big win for Atlanta today to keep pace with both the Saints and Panthers in this division. You look at the NFC West, while the Los Angeles Rams are 7-2 and two, and the Seattle Seahawks are 6-3, and three, and yes, the Seahawks did defeat the Rams already this season, but that race does not look the same because you look at all of the injuries that the Seahawks are dealing with in their secondary. They lost Richard Sherman for the season this past Thursday night as he suffered a ruptured Achilles, while Earl Thomas, their all-pro free safety, is dealing with a bad hamstring. You look at the playoff races, you have Pittsburgh at 7-2. and two. I'm going to go ahead and put New England at 7-2 and two as well, while Kansas City, Tennessee, and Jacksonville are all 6-3. and three. And for Tennessee, they get, the, they get the nod right now over Jacksonville for the AFC South. And your two wildcard teams in the AFC would be Jacksonville and Buffalo. Miami is four and four, while Baltimore and Oakland are four and five. I'll tell you like this: Buffalo's five and four, but that is a very shaky five and four after the last two weeks. On the NFC side, you have Philly, who is eight and one, while you have three teams who are tied at seven and two. You have Minnesota, New Orleans and Los Angeles. And I'll tell you like this, all three of these teams are dangerous because they all play D and they run the football. And I think, again, it comes down to the quarterback play. And I look at it like this. Drew Brees, he's been there and he's done that. Case Keenum, I'm not sold on him in a postseason atmosphere. And the same can be said about rookie, uh, pardon me, second-year quarterback Jared Goff for the Rams. Your two wild-card teams right now are Seattle and Carolina and Atlanta really did themselves a favor by getting that victory today to go to 5-4 and four while they joined Detroit, Green Bay, and Dallas all with that record. However, between the injury to Aaron Rodgers and the suspension of Ezekiel Elliott, I do not expect the Packers or Cowboys, respectively, to be players in the postseason race. Now, you look ahead to Week 11's meetings, and of course it begins on Thursday night, when the Tennessee Titans take on travel to take on the Pittsburgh Steelers. And this is a golden opportunity for the Titans to show that they are for real. But I always, like I said it before, and I'll say it again, which Pittsburgh Steelers team is going to show up in this contest. Now, next Sunday afternoon, you're going to have the Detroit Lions traveling to take on the Chicago Bears. And Detroit is really going to have their hands full in this contest with Chicago. And if they play like they did, Today versus the Browns, don't be surprised if the Lions lose this contest. Now, it's going to be the winless Cleveland Browns trying to get their first win of the season as they take on the Jacksonville Jaguars. And I've said it before, the Jaguars are an immature team, and they can show some maturity next Sunday by going on the road and taking care of business versus a Cleveland Browns team who they should mop the floor with. Now, it will be the Baltimore Ravens traveling to take on the Green Bay Packers. The Ravens are coming off of their bye, and at some point there has to be some semblance of order on offense for the Ravens. But their defense 
could be the difference maker in this contest going up against uh, Packers quarterback Brett Hundley. But the Packers defense definitely has to feel good after getting five sacks today versus the Bears. Now, it will be the Tampa Bay Buccaneers taking on the Miami Dolphins. Of course, this game was postponed from week number one as a result of Hurricane Irma. And now the Dolphins and Bucks find themselves in the midst of 16 straight games. Of course, Miami has yet to play here in week number 10 as they will be on the road tomorrow night versus the Carolina Panthers. A big-time showdown in the NFC next Sunday afternoon as you're going to have the Los Angeles Rams traveling to take on the Minnesota Vikings. And like I said, with both of these teams, they play defense. They run the football effectively, but it could come down to the quarterback play. And right now, Jared Goff is looking like the better of the two. It's going to be the Washington Redskins traveling to take on the New Orleans Saints. And Washington has had problems on D all season long. And if they can't stop the run in this one, this game could get ugly at the Dome. Next Sunday afternoon, you're going to have the New York Giants hosting the Kansas City Chiefs. The Chiefs are coming off of their bye, and I expect a heavy dose of the run game from from Kansas City going up against this beleaguered Giants defense. It's going to be the 4-5 and five Arizona Cardinals traveling to take on the Houston Texans. And both of these teams are dealing with a litany of injuries. And this is going to be one of those contests, as far as I'm concerned, somebody's going to win by accident. Now, next Sunday afternoon, you're going to have the Buffalo Bills on the road to take on the Los Angeles Chargers. And for Buffalo, this season could be ready to get away from them, as the Chargers will not be an easy out next Sunday afternoon in Carson. You're going to have the 3-6 and six Cincinnati Bengals traveling to take on the Denver Broncos. Of course, the Broncos are getting it handed to them right now by the hands of the Patriots. And this is another one of those contests. One of these teams is going to get hot, and they're going to find themselves squeaking out the victory. Now, next Sunday afternoon in Mexico City, it's going to be the 6-2 and two New England Patriots taking on the 4-5 and five Oakland Raiders. And this is part of the NFL's international series. Well, lucky for us folks in the States, it's an opportunity to see an international game at a regular time. Next Sunday night, you're going to have the 8-1 and one Philadelphia Eagles traveling to take on the 5-4 and four Dallas Cowboys. And not officially, but unofficially, the Eagles could all but wrap up the NFC East with a victory in this contest. And finally, on, on Monday Night Football, you're going to have the 5-4 and four Atlanta Falcons taking on the 6-3 and three Seattle Seahawks. And for all it's worth, Atlanta could really emerge as a player in the wild card race with a victory here if they're able to take advantage of the Seahawks and their injured secondary. So, folks, that is going to wrap it up. And as always, I want to take this time out to thank you for tuning in to the 300 Pounds of Sports Knowledge show here on blogtalkradio.com. Now, I will be back on the air next Sunday night, same time at 9 p.m. Eastern, 6 p.m. Pacific, this time recapping the action from week number 11 in the NFL season. Now, if you're on Twitter, please feel free to follow me at 300 Pounds of Sports. And like I always say, if you follow me, it will be my pleasure to follow you right back. Also, there is a Facebook page at 300 Pounds of Sports Knowledge. You can check it out, and you are more than welcome to like it as well. Also, you can check me out at 300poundsofsportsknowledge.com 
where I, I fancy myself as far as being the total sports package for the total fan. And I will have a piece up soon as far as some of the top free agents to look out for during the winter in Major League Baseball. As always, much love to 150 pounds of sports knowledge. She knows who she is, and without her, none of this good stuff that you are hearing is possible. And as always, much love to my wonderful daughter, Penelope. It's always a pleasure to see her grow and grow on a daily basis. And like I always say, she is going to do some great things in this great world of ours. So once again, fine folks, my name is William Martin. Take care. Have yourselves a wonderful night. And thanks once again for tuning in to the 300 Pounds of Sports Knowledge Show here on blogtalkradio.com. 